great is it to hear laughter in the room? I remember one of the first times I remember hearing laughter after um, everything that took place in last 2020. I remember um, hearing laughter coming from a room a few rooms away and just how much it was finally registering to me, right? You just used to take people laughing together for, for granted. And it started to mean something more to me once I started to realize what we could be, what could be gone in a moment. And it reminds me that we are always so focused on hearing God's voice for our lives, especially like if we need direction for something, if we need healing for something. But this morning, just remember that God is excited to hear your voice. Yeah, so good. Your voice, yeah. right? And when we worship, he's just like taking delight in that. The word talks about, he dances over us. He just takes joy in your voice. So as much as he knows that you're seeking his voice today, know that he is having great delight in your voice today. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, I thank you for a room in which we can match our voices with one another and make something beautiful for you. I thank you, God, that all over our nation, in one way or another, people are finding a way to unify their voices this morning, to lift you up, to lift you up, to lift you up. And God, so this morning, as we bring our worship today, and as we talked about the importance, the value, the treasure of waiting on you, oh God, I pray that you will hear a voice of people that remember who you are, and are declaring it out into the atmosphere of their lives this morning. And I pray, God, for a great and holy stirring today. In your precious, precious name, amen. Amen. Amen.
that you are able to mount up my life like an eagle to help me to soar above it all, Lord God. Daddy, to help me to walk and not faint. We're believing for supernatural strength in this room. Supernatural empowerment. Daddy, your word says that the Holy Spirit can give gifts of faith today. I am believing for gifts of faith to be released into people's lives. Not simple belief, faith. Faith to believe that although man says it's impossible, my God knows that all things are possible with you. That there's not one name stronger than Jesus. Not one sickness or disease, not, not one circumstance or situation, not one hurt or one sin or one habit, not one belief. There's nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. So I speak the name of Jesus over every person in this room. I speak the name of Jesus over people who are watching and listening today in the rooms where they are. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the Spirit of God to be present. For the supernatural to manifest. For souls to respond to his truth. And for spirits to soar with his faith. And together we believe this. We touch it in agreement. And say, so be it. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God a shout of glory for a moment. For his faithfulness, for how good God is. Hallelujah. Hey church, you know what's so beautiful? is that while we're waiting, he's still present. You know, sometimes we're waiting for people to show up, and that's how we think about God. But see, God's presence is never outside of the picture. His presence is always there. It's the timing of the release of the promise that you're waiting for. That's why you and I can find the presence of the king all the time. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, no matter what you're going through, what you've been through, I'll never leave you. You're faithless, I'm faithful. I'm not waiting for his presence to show up. I'm simply waiting for the promise to be revealed. I'm believing for that promise to be released in some of you today. For shame to get off of you, for guilt to be shattered, for addiction that has held you, for so long in shame and in the darkness, in those dark places, for those chains to be shattered today in Jesus' name. Look, there's freedom in Jesus. Church isn't about just us coming together to feel better. This is not a motivational talk. This is truth being expressed in your life. And the Bible says if you know the truth, experience it, not know it, experience it, the truth shall set you free. What can't he set you free from today? I believe that people are being set free today, even now, and will be, because of the love of God. Well, I'm so glad you're here today. Can we give a shout out to everybody who's online as well? Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being a part of this with us. No matter where you are, we are really glad that you're in, 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 in with us. I'm really glad you're in the house today. I, 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 was, I, was, I, I missed church for the first time last week in like... I don't know how long, but thank you for praying for me. Prayers work. And I believe God has something special for you today. So as you're being, as you're finding your seat, can you just take a moment, give somebody next to you an air high five, tell them it's really good. Take a moment to talk to somebody. Just take a moment to say hi.
Team, you guys are rock stars today. Amazing. Amazing, 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 amazing. While you guys are being seated, I'm going to ask my friend Keith Carpenter to come on up here for a second. Can you guys give Keith a hand? What's up, brother? I love this dude. Um, I asked Keith to come up here. I'm going to give you this, even though I usually don't do that, but I trust you. I, tr I trust Keith with a mic. This is a big step. If you've been at Connect before, you know that I usually don't give mics out because that's a scary moment. I trust my brother. Hey, how long have you and Mary been here at church? Four years. Four years in March. How long, how long did you, uh, have you um, been in Forge? Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Keith is, Keith is uh, a man that uh, I asked to come up and just share just for a moment about how Forged, which is our men's discipleship uh, groups, how it impacted his life. Because we're not here. We don't want to just have a group of Sunday morning moments where we're, we're, we're just believing. We really want to be discipled. And and, and, and so, buddy, t tell, tell me, just how has, how has Forge impacted you as, as a disciple? Um, it has shown me the lengths that God will go to to teach me how much he loves me, um, how much he desires to um, live through me. How much he wants to, um, I felt like, you know, I think a lot of times you feel guilty and you feel a lot of shame and, and you know the weight of your sin, but yeah. he wants to expose that in, in a loving way. Yeah, in a safe place. In a safe place yeah. where other men are, are there with you. It's yeah. like we're going through it together. And um, I love it. Yeah, yeah we, we like to do things on our own, don't we, as men? We're like, yeah. I can do it. I can handle yes. it, right? I don't want to tell anybody yes. else. <laughs> but that's powerful. Yeah. It's, it's powerful to have a group of men together. Yeah. Um, and, and Keith, thank you. Uh, first of all, as your pastor, thank you for being willing to, to live life together with other guys. Yeah. And we've been saying in Forged how important it is uh, because the, 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 that, uh, the kingdom of God uh, talks about men leading the way. Hey, guys, here we are. We, we, this is our opportunity to rise in the midst of all this. And I guess uh, just, just really quickly, kind of just as we wrap, can you tell if, if someone's not enforced, what, what would you say? Why, what, what, what would you say if someone's out there going, I'm not sure, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have the time, or what, how would you encourage them today? You have to invest in, in your walk with God. And so God has given you everything, every opportunity. He's given us a great pastor. He's given us um, men that will walk with you, yeah. but you have to take the time to invest in your heart, That's right. in your relationship with yeah. God, and and God has already did the investment, so it's just a matter, like you always say, yeah. show up, yeah. just keep showing up, just keep showing up, yeah, sometimes I don't feel like coming, but yeah. I show up, and God blesses me, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm really fired up, and I, and I want to share, and it's in those opportunities where God uses me to it cares someone else, and that, that, I think that's I think that's so powerful yeah. that in this, it's not only what we learn. We're not going; it's not Bible study. We're not yeah. going there to just learn the Bible, although the Bible is what we're trying to apply to our life. But it's other men who are there to help us along the way. And Keith, thank you for being that guy. Thank you for being this guy, yeah. guys. Can you give him a hand? I just wanted to, I just wanted to introduce you to my to my brother. Love this guy. He's absolutely fantastic. Such a great family. Baby, can I give you this so that I don't kick it around up here? Thank you. Give my beautiful wife a hand. She's fantastic. 
You know what's really cool? Keith has actually just did that while he's going back to serving kids right now. Like, they serve in kids as a family. And not because they have to. Because they get to. It's part of discipleship. It's part of all that. Well, I wanna, before I hop in today, I just I want to take a moment. It's so good to be here. Thank you for praying for me last week. Uh, and um, I want to thank Pastor Ron and Irene. What a great message you guys preached last week. Thank you for sharing and caring for our people so well. Uh, it was beautiful. We watched it uh, together. Uh, at home, and it was just, so, I was so moved by it. I hope you were as well, so encouraged. Um, please pray for Pastor John today. He's, uh, he's under the weather, uh, and uh, we're believing for, Pastor John, we're believing for your, your healing today as well. You know, Pastor D and I, for, for uh, this is a new, uh, new set. This is the first time I actually got to preach up here. Uh, I, I got a little podium now. I didn't have, for some of you who, are, who, who haven't been here, we've been, Danielle and I have been tag teaming. And, uh, and, and we just decided today, we really felt like this was something that was inside of my spirit and I wanted to be able to bring it to you together today. Um, and so if you, if you have your Bible, since you have your Bible, can you open it with me to the book of Numbers? Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21. Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And uh, if you need a title for today's message, it's once bitten, two shot. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, over the last couple of months, it seems, Danielle and I have been talking just a little bit about recognizing how uh, there are certain mentalities, certain habits, certain beliefs, even certain relationships that are toxic and really shouldn't be in our chariots. We shouldn't be bringing them in like Ahab brought in King Ben-Hadad into his chariot. There should things that shouldn't be in our chariots. Uh, we've been talking about that, and today I just wanted to talk a little bit more about how to live that out in a, uh, in a continuing manner. You know, the, this, this saying is an old saying, once bitten, too shy. What it means is that once I've been bitten, once I've been hurt, once, 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 once something has happened to me, my natural response is to maybe be shy and not take risks. Not go there again. And I don't know about you, but in my life, not only in my life and in my relationships and in my friendships, but especially living life in church over the years, I can relate to this moment. I, I can relate to being bitten over and over and over again and maybe being shy to take risks. But I think what's so beautiful that we're going to see in the middle of this is that even though we've been bitten, maybe with disillusionment or disappointment, maybe with offense, maybe it's towards someone else, maybe it's towards God, that regardless of the venom that's inside of us, that God wants to use these kind of moments to redeem us, to repair us, to restore us, not just back to health, but back to a, back to a God ordained purpose for our life, which is to be a part of being a repairer and a restorer and a rebuilder of those who have been bitten in our world. This isn't simply about us being healed or set free, although it is, that's the love of God towards you. But there's purpose behind the grace. And that's the difference between a believer and a disciple. A believer looks to God's promises and sees what they can get out of it. A disciple recognizes that God's faithfulness always brings his promises. But it's not just for me to receive it, it's for me to give it away. 
And so we're going to see this in our text today. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. They were complaining. And so they find themselves in a community filled with serpents. And that's where we start the story in verse 5. It says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. I know none of us have ever done that. No one's ever spoken against leadership or God at all. Never. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They are basically saying it was better for us in Egypt than here. For there's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. None of that is true, by the way. There was food, there was water. But, but let me just stop and say something. Let me give you a little background. Aaron, the high priest, their high priest had just died. And so there was an absence. There was an enemy king that was attacking them from the outside and taking people hostage. People were missing from their life. Things were not going the way that they had thought they would go. And here is the issue in these moments. Our soul, our soul, our soul exaggerates displeasure and abdicates responsibility in the atmosphere of absence and attack. We've got to recognize our soul will always exaggerate our displeasure. When there's an absence of our high priest in our life. When there's constant attack, that's why we have to be careful when we find ourselves feeling at a distance from Jesus. We have to be careful when we find ourselves in the presence of attack because our soul's natural reaction is to exaggerate how bad our life actually is. And abdicate any responsibility at bringing change back to it. Verse 6 says this. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, first of all, that's just horrible. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. Come on. That is our normal, natural self-prayer. God just I got into the mess, but God, just take it away from me now. Just fix it all. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when they looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Before we even... I begin to unpack this even further. I just want to stop for a moment because Pastor Dean and I have been talking about how prophetic this verse actually is in our world today. My friends, we have to recognize right now in our world, we're living among the serpents. We are living among the serpents. There are serpents on the outside, on the inside, that are slithering through your relationships, slithering in your mentality, slithering in your culture. There, and We are living in the midst of the serpents. And it would be irresponsible for us. We cannot pretend like if they're not there. We can't act in church as if there's no serpents. What are you talking about? Everything's fine here. I mean, we're saved. It's all good. Can I tell you, people who were going into the promised land were still in the midst of that community where the serpents were too? We, can, we can't create in church this safe harbor as if Everything in here is good. And 
without actually recognizing that we're still living among serpents because when we leave this place, there's people in this room and outside of this room who aren't here yet who are still dying. They're dying spiritually. They're dying relationally. They're dying emotionally. They're, they're di many are dying physically. And so our job in this place is not to make us feel better as if we're an illusionist and just saying, look, there's no serpents here. Everything's fine. We're here to empower you and equip you to raise up Jesus in a society that's filled with serpents. To say, I know I'm living with serpents that are all around me, and I know their bite kills. And so I'm going to learn to lift up Jesus in the midst of it. I'm not going to ask simply for the serpents to go away. I'm not going to blame people who brought the serpents into my life. I'm going to find a way to lift up Jesus in the midst of it. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. See, Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when he's trying to get Nicodemus from being a backseat believer to being a front seat follower, he tells him, I want to let you know, Nick, that I was the bronze serpent lifted up in the desert. That was me. And everybody who looks to me won't only get physically healed, but they will have eternal life as well. He goes on in John 5, and he says, I just want to let you know everything Moses wrote about was about me. Come on, what the Old Testament conceals, the New Testament reveals. What the Old Testament tells us in part, the New Testament lets live in our heart. What an amazing God we've got here. This isn't about getting the snakes out of community. It's about us learning how to actually lift up Jesus in the midst of it. The first thing that should be jumping off the page at us is that the snakes didn't leave. Their prayer. Like how many of us would have been offended? Because God did not do what we thought he should do. God, if you really loved us, you just get rid of the things that were hurting us. Did you realize that they asked for the snakes to leave? And God said, no. No. I don't know about you, but when God says no, I can get pretty offended. Oh, it's just me. The snakes didn't leave. God wasn't teaching them how to get rid of the snakes. He was teaching them how to live in community in the midst of them. No, God didn't take away the snakes. He simply took away the power of the venom. My friends, we've got to recognize that through Jesus, he may not get rid of the serpents that are in our lives, the serpents that are in a community, but what he does is he neutralizes the power of the venom that the enemy has in our lives. That's why I love that in this text, what we're going to see is this revelation of God in a different way. The depth of this glorious person who is Jesus. How disciples, we're going to continue to see this dichotomy between how believers react and disciples respond. The issue is that I see in this text, we can see people living in a community of faith, but not living by faith. They were living in this community of faith. They had the word. They had the spirit. They had everything. They had great church service. They had it all the time. It was fantastic around them. But they were choosing not to live by faith themselves. And it brought things into their life. And when you and I, as believers of Jesus Christ, find ourselves living at that soul level, where it's all focused on self, and self being healed and self being released and self 
making sure that I'm okay. We will constantly, like these men and women in this text, be looking for someone to blame. Be disappointed with how God responds. And our prayer life will be entirely focused on getting rid of the problem instead of actually understanding the revelation of God. That's what immature believers do. This is what is being shown. This is the children of God. And I get it, my friends, because that's what's inside of you and I. That's what natural humanity does. Natural humanity is drawn to being disillusioned with God. Natural humanity is drawn to blaming others for their circumstance and not owning it and taking responsibility. Adam, the very first sinner, turns and he says, God's not my fault, it's the woman you gave me. But when my circumstance here, God, is there was a serpent in the garden, not even my fault. You put the serpent here, and oh, by the way, you gave me the woman who screwed it up. Do you realize, my friends, we got to realize that's inside of us. This, our natural tendency is not to trust God. Our natural tendency is to be disillusioned. To actually blame shift our circumstance. And our soul is drawn to this disillusionment of what God isn't doing for us. Do you know what hit me hard? What hit me hard is this. They thought living in slavery was better than living with serpents. They said, rather go back to Egypt. Are you crazy? But see, my friends, that's why it's so easy for us when we're living at this level of belief to walk away from God. Because our soul gets so disappointed with what God isn't doing for us, we begin to believe that it's better to live in slavery without trials than it is to live with God with serpents. How many times have we been tempted to walk away from God because somewhere in our mind, he didn't do what we thought he should do the way he, we thought he should do it. And we believe that going back to living in Egypt in slavery is better than living with God with serpents. See, in this disillusionment of our soul, we are in danger of missing the beholding. The beholding. The beholding of the beauty of his presence. The danger is when we're being motivated by our disillusioned soul that we so often fall into the trap, stay with me, of self-pity repentance. Now, I know none of us have ever had self-pity repentance. I have had self-pity repentance. Self-pity repentance is what they're doing right now. Let me, let me tell you. Let me put some feet on it for you. Self-pity repentance looks like this. Um, God, I'm really sorry that uh, you put me in this mess. I'm really sorry that I'm in the mess, but now someone else got to fix it. Did, did you hear their prayer? Their prayer was like, first of all, they sinned, God responded. They turn around and go, um, yeah, I'm really kind of sorry, but you've got to fix it. That's self-pity, repentance. It's not real. The repentance they should have had was this. God, I am so sorry that my world's in this mess. Please forgive me for any part I played in it. Show me how I can be a part of fixing it. It's 
It's the only way that we'll ever get to this place of experiencing the beauty of the beholding of his goodness to us. The beauty of who he really is. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, this is what repentance actually is. Repentance is turning around, seeking his face, and closing that gap yourself, saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm turning around and I'm walking in another way. I'm not looking for anyone else to fix this. I want to fix it with you. I'm going to seek your face until you reveal yourself in such a way that I am overwhelmed by your love. I'm overwhelmed by your grace. I'm overwhelmed by your mercy. So deep and so rich. I'm drowned in, I'm drowned so much in your goodness that I am here to give it away. That's what repentance looks like. My friends, a sure sign that something is still missing in our life and in our spiritual development is when we, like the children of Israel here, are looking for someone else or something else to change God's mind about us. What good work do I have to do, God, to convince you to get rid of the serpents? God, do I have to be nicer, kinder? Do I have to tithe more? Do I have to serve more? God, who's, who, who needs to change so that these serpents can go away? That is self-pity repentance. But the beauty of what I see here, I was sharing with this with Dee this morning. The beauty of what I see here is this incredible amount of grace God has. That he actually gives them yet another way to behold them. To behold them. Think about that. That's what he's doing. He had already given them the ark, the Ten Commandments. They had the, the, the pillar of fire at night and the, the cloud by day. They, they had the Shekinah glory coming out of the Holy of Holies. They had the voice of Moses, water coming from the rock, matter dropping down from heaven. And in the middle of this moment, God still gives them another way to behold him. Because that's his heart's desire. His heart's desire is for you and I to behold him. To close the gap of whatever's hindering the intimacy between you and him. That's what this is all about. That's why he doesn't need to get rid of the snakes. The snakes are irrelevant. Because he could have got rid of the snakes and they still wouldn't have seen them. Because he brought water from the rock and they didn't see him. He brought manna from heaven and their soul loathed them. They brought the ark and the covenant with his glory and they still didn't recognize him. What a beautiful thing. That's why he brought Jesus to give you and I, who are unrepentant Gentiles, the way to behold him differently. What a great, he had given us nature. He had sent the prophets. He had given the law. And we still couldn't see him. So he said, I'll step out of heaven. I'll show you so I can show you so you can behold my glory. Do we understand the depth of what God's love is towards us? It's not about fixing our problem. It's about revealing himself. And maybe that's why he allows somebody, a disciple like Moses, to still be in the midst of the serpents. So that he could have some disciples who would be there to lift up his glory in the midst of the crowd. My friends, though, though uh, the longer that it takes us to move from the bite to the beholding, the longer it takes for you and I to move from the bite to the beholding, the more damage we the more venom destroys our lives. 
Do you know what venom does? It makes the blood unable to carry oxygen. It suffocates you. Have you ever felt like your spirit suffocated? It's because we still have the venom of offense and entitlement and self-righteousness and pride and ego and our rights. But the Bible says life is in the blood. And we can't allow anything to get in the way of what the blood of Jesus brings to our life. And that's why I love what Moses does here. I love Moses' response because we see the dichotomy here between how believers reacted and the disciple responded. Because I'm not sure that I would have responded the same way that, that he responded. i got to be honest with you. Because this is how I would have responded. I would be like, you crazy. You want me to pray for you? You out to mine. Uh, did you forget everything I've done for you? Have you forgotten everything God's done for you? Like, you're out of your mind. And I think one of the things that we get to see here as being a disciple is that Moses, stay with me, did not push his need to be right. He didn't feel the need to have to defend himself or to defend God in the midst of this moment. He understood the opportunity and the responsibility in this moment was simply to lift up Jesus. To obey what the Father had said and not be defined or directed by what the crowd said. As a disciple, Moses wasn't looking for who to blame. Come on, how easy is it for us when we're going through things just to look for people to blame? It's the immigrant's fault. It's the white man's fault. It's the black man's fault. It's the government's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my upbringing's fault. Come on, are we being real or not? They're the serpents that are in our, in our world right now. It's everyone's fault. But a disciple's not looking for who to blame. Because here's the deal, there were people in that room, in that community, who did bring it. And then there were people like Joshua and Caleb, who were going to go in the promised land, who still had to, they didn't do anything wrong. They still had to live in the middle of the serpents. There's times, there are times, there are times, my friends, that we've got to recognize that it's not really about being right. Moses wasn't interested in the blame game because he understood what the trials would produce. Yeah. Dean and I were talking about this in the car on the way in. We talked about it at Forge, and I know you guys, you ladies did it shoulder to shoulder, but 1 Peter 1, verse 6 says this, that, man, we should rejoice when we go through these moments. We don't have to look to see who's to blame because finding out who to blame doesn't matter. The purpose of the trial is to produce genuine faith in me. The purpose of living in the midst of the snakes, the reason God doesn't remove the snakes, is because he's trying to produce genuine faith in us. The trial reveals what's beneath our walk. They were walking in the wilderness for a while until the trial showed up, and then what was beneath the walk came out. And God is interested in refining you and I, the, the, the dross to turn it into gold so that you and I have a pure relationship. He's trying to get rid of anything that hinders our intimacy with him. So when offense deals with, uh, gets rid of, I mean, it hinders our intimacy, he wants to deal with it. When shame, when guilt, when ego, when entitlement, he's going to deal with it. Why? Because he's interested in intimacy. And what I love about this moment is that God gave Moses a divine strategy to bring Jesus 
into the midst of the relational conflict that was going on. He didn't give them a way to eradicate the snakes. He gave them a divine strategy to bring Jesus into the community. A divine, spirit-led moment, strategy, on how to bring Jesus into that relationship. That's what we need, isn't it? Is it really, how's it working out for us when we're blaming our parents? When we're blaming our government? When we're blaming our neighbor, blaming our friend? How's it working out? What we need is a divine, spirit-led revelation on how to bring Jesus into that community. And I get it. We don't always know how to work it out. I can't tell you how many times. I don't know what to do. And here's the answer. You know what Moses did? He prayed. Prayer. That's a good idea. And when he prayed, God gave him a supernatural revelation. Why? Because Romans 8, Romans 8, 26 tells me that when I don't know what to pray, I let the Holy Spirit pray. And when the Holy Spirit prays, what's in the heartbeat of God gets in the heartbeat of man. The Bible tells me the Spirit's my guide and my counselor. He actually opens up and reveals things I can't figure out on my own. He gives me a divine strategy. Uh, look, disciples are not looking for a way to get out. They're looking for a way to bring Jesus in. Believers are looking to get out. Disciples are looking for a way to bring Jesus in. I've, I've been reading a book. I, I read a book a little bit ago called Tortured for Christ. It's by Richard Wormbrand. And he was talking about how in Romania, communist Romania after World War II, it was illegal to preach the gospel to anyone, but especially to, Roman sol I mean, to Russian soldiers. But God had given him a passion to bring a word to the Russian soldiers. So he said, I know it was illegal, so I didn't know how to do it. So I went to God, and I asked for a strategy. God, tell me how to do it. And in prayer, God downloaded these thoughts. He understood that the Russian soldiers loved watches, because I guess they didn't have watches in, in Russia. And so they would, they would plunder them through war. They would actually steal them from the Romanian people. They would often wear seven or eight on each, uh, on each arm at any given time. And then to make money, they would sell the watches they stole from the Romanians back to the Romanians. He said, but God gave him this idea, and he downloaded it to the underground church, the leaders in the church. What they would do is they would go to the barracks of the soldiers to buy watches. And when they would walk in, the guards would let them through because they would tell them they're going to buy a watch. And when they sat down with the Russian soldiers to buy the watches, two or three would sit down with them. And then four or five would gather around them. Before they know, they'd have a small crowd all buying to sell them watches. And he would start talking to them about watches. Then he would start talking to them about how the watch has a design. And how the design reveals a craftsman. And how the world has a design to it. And how the, the, world, the design of the world reveals a divine craftsman. And then he began to talk to them about who the divine craftsman was, who actually was the builder of the world. And he said, love slowly but slowly but surely, one after another after another Russian soldier would there in the barracks fall on their knees and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And very often, it was the person whom they stole the watch from that was leading them to Jesus. Come on, because when the thief gets caught, he has to give back seven times. There are divine strategies that the Holy Spirit can download to you and I if we are more interested in bringing Jesus into it than us getting out of it. Even our heart, 
our broken places. I'm not just talking about others. I'm saying, man, there's times in my life when I've lost peace and I've lost joy. Have you ever been like me? Have you ever been like David? Where you're like, God, man, my heart is so broken. Create me a clean heart, God. God, man, somewhere along the way I've lost my joy. Can you restore the joy of my salvation? And when Moses prayed, God showed away. For Jesus to be lifted up over all of it. Come on, any of you today, any of us today, are we there? Are we in that place where we need Jesus to be lifted up over it? It's not about getting out of it. It's about to get Jesus into the midst of it. The truth is, I think disciples realize that in order to bring hope, while living among the serpents, it's going to require some, self, some sacrifice of self. Some sacrifice of self. Yeah. Moses had to pray for the people who did it. I'd be like, you're on your own. He made a choice to risk obeying God, even though he had been bitten time and time and time again and had every reason to be shy. Too shy, shy. Hush, hush, Come on, Ron's in one of those. Man. Come on. Any of you grow up in church? I've been bitten enough to be shy. I've been bitten enough to not take the risks. I've been bitten enough to know exactly how far of a risk I'm willing to take. And disciples have to make a decision. We've got to put feet on the verse that we quote all the time in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways, in all your ways, in all the times you've been bitten, in all the times the venom's come, in all the times you've been hurt, disappointed, and disillusioned with God, in every way acknowledge Him, and He will direct a path for you to take. That can't be a verse. Believers quote a verse. Disciples apply a verse. We take this thing and go, man, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but God can reveal it. And the reality of it, my friends, is that Moses' obedience positioned himself and his community for breakthrough. He did something that wasn't even in his skill set, wasn't even in his vocational uh, uh, job description. He was a shepherd for 40 years. Now he had to be a ditch digger, a woodcutter, a carpenter, a smelter, a worker of bronze, an artist. And oh, by the way, he's over 100 years old in the desert heat. You want to talk about supernatural strength that God can give you when you step out and take a risk under the anointing of God? Dude, I was out the other day with a gas-powered auger. And I'm 53, and I thought I was going to die. Come on, but the anointing of God. The anointing of God. The anointing of God. The anointing of God. The spirit-led anointing of God can enable us to do things that our talent and our training will never be able to do. Did you notice, by the way, that he didn't heal them supernaturally? He obeyed, and what came out of his obedience revealed the healer. This is a trap. 
in our celebrity Christianity today. All of our celebrity Christianity. I know it's easy to say pastors have a celebrity Christianity. No, no, no. All of us have celebrity Christianity. What I mean by that is this. Many of us are willing to be a part of someone else's healing. But we're really not interested in simply being a part of revealing the healer to somebody. Because when I'm part of their healing, I'm part of their healing. Moses just obeyed and revealed the healer. This is what I know. When the Spirit wants to elevate Jesus in a community, he looks for a person not with talent, but with trust. He can give you talent. He can't give you trust. He's looking for people who are willing to take a risk, to step out, to lift him up. And the truth is that Moses had had victory with serpents other times, didn't he? Like, like at the burning bush, and he had victory over serpents at Pharaoh's court. Uh, he, he had some past victories. By the way, that's why it's important that we have past victories, because they increase our faith for present circumstance. But what he didn't do, which is a trap for you and I, is he didn't do, allow his past victories of faith to become a formula he tried to apply in his circumstance. Faith enables you and I to trust the Father, not a formula. Trust the Father, not the formula. And I think the reality is trials, these times when the snake are in the garden, can be real moments of intimacy with us and with Jesus. They can be really important moments in our own spiritual development if we're willing to do them. It was the serpents in the wilderness that brought forth gifts from Moses that he didn't even know were there. Some of the trials you're going through may bring out things in you, gifts, opportunities to reveal Jesus that you never knew were there. Is it worth it? Is living with the snakes worth being able to lift up Jesus to a community in a way you never thought possible before? That's a decision only you can make. I love this moment in Matthew 14, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, right? We know there's more than 5,000 people there. They already counted men. And he takes the five loaves and two fish, and he breaks them. He gives them to his disciples to give them away. But there's more that's going on in that trial than just the feeding of the 5,000. There's something going on inside his disciples. Because maybe people like Peter, James, and John, who were fishermen, they were used to, like the people out there, not having enough. So they could relate to the people that were there. And maybe because they were fishermen, they were already calculating how many fish it would take to solve this problem. And they knew it was impossible with the way that they had it. But on the other side, there was also a disciple. His name was Matthew, and he was a tax collector. And he had all that he wanted to have. Because he didn't relate to these people, he took from them. And for one group, this trial needed to change their thinking. And for another, it was a chance at redemption for past mistakes.
Maybe the trial you're going through is a moment for you to be able to change the way you're thinking about God himself. Maybe the trial you're going through is a moment to second chance to redeem your past mistakes with God. But the lesson's all the same in this moment. It doesn't matter. Whatever we've received from God, we're meant to give away. We're meant to give away with trust, taking a risk, with compassion. Because here's what I know. It's easy in moments like this where there's serpents and we've been bitten and we're seeing people bitten and loved ones bitten and kids who didn't deserve it dying and people who didn't sin get messed up because other people sinned and their sin got on them. It's easy to forget the pain that's actually going into community when serpents bite people. Because we're going after all, it's their fault. It's easy to forget the fear that goes on in community when there's serpents that are all over the place. When's the next time I'm going to be bitten? What's going to slither into my relationship next? What happens if I go to the market where I go and I step out? What snake's going to bite me? What happens? What am I not seeing that's going to get me from the backside? There's such fear. Do we not understand? Can we not see prophetically that this is the world we're living in right now? People are terrified, although ego says they're not. Persona says we're fine. Internally, they are petrified because they don't know what's coming next. Because there's serpents in our world. I get it. You all know I'll petrified snakes. A couple years back, I had the opportunity. I was in South Africa, and uh, I, I was walking back to my hut where I was staying, and on top, over my door on the roof, there was this giant black mass. And my guides told me to stay, and they went, and they got it, and it was a black mamba. It's the most poisonous, deadly snake in the world, and it will hunt you. It's the only snake in the world that will hunt you. And they, they got it, and they, 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 they shoot it away, and it went off into the camp somewhere else. And I went into my room, and I'm freaking out. But I want to let you know, I, I could actually sleep that night. And the reason I could sleep that night is because they put a guard at my door. They put a guard at my door. But I got to be honest, even though I was peaceful in my bed, I was still thinking. I was still calculating. Oh my gosh, that black mom is still out there. It could bite somebody else in my camp. I hope pastor is all right. I hope my friend's all right. I hope that guy that took me around today is okay. I saw kids playing out there a little while, and I started to process the fact that there's a black mama, although I was safe at rest in my cot because there was a guard at my door. There was a black mamba out there that was still in the camp ready to kill somebody in my community. See, my friends, you and I have a guard standing at our door. His name is Jesus, and his presence can give me rest. And when I behold his glory, I can have rest in my soul. But I got to be conscious as a disciple that there are black mambas in my community that are causing fear and bringing venom and causing death and causing racism and causing hatred and causing division and causing pain for people. I cannot be blind in my own time, sleeping peacefully in my world, pretending that there aren't snakes in the world. I gotta find a way in the community of serpents to lift Jesus up so my community can be saved. Here's the good news Jesus saves. 
There is victory in Jesus Christ. No matter how often we've been bitten, how we've been bitten, Jesus is the answer. What I love about him is that even if we have self-inflicted wounds, he still heals us. They caused it. He still healed them. Are you crazy? That's the love that God has for you, church. That you can self-inflict the wound and he still loves you enough to give himself for you. Whether the serpents are in our midst because we brought them in or someone else did. Whether we're the victim or the victimizer, Jesus' love is still the answer. See, there's a deep revelation of Jesus in these kind of moments of trial. Not to see him as our healer or our get-out-of-jail-free card. But the Bible says he became the serpent on the pole. Love moved him to become our curse. Think about that for a moment. How hard it is when we've been victimized to actually forgive the person who did it. How hard it is to actually love somebody, as Jesus tells us, love our enemies. How much, how difficult it is to try to bless somebody who's hurt you. Like, come on, let's be real. That's not my first thought. My first thought is to fly the, fly the black mamba and put it in their mailbox. <laughs> oh, y'all better people than I am. Y'all more holy. But that's what Jesus did. He loved us and forgave us and became the curse for us. Galatians 3.13 says he became the curse for you and I because we brought the curse on ourselves. In this sacrifice of self, he reveals the deep love of God and selfless love. The truth is we do have victory in Jesus, which is important right now. It's important that we know that we can be healed, that we can be set free. But it's also important that we remember that we are part of God's plan to lift up Jesus so they can behold his glory in the midst of the serpents. I don't need to deny this pandemic. I need to lift up the healer in the midst of it. I don't need to deny the fact that there's racism in the world. I gotta lift up the one who is justice himself above it. I don't have to deny that sometimes I struggle to have peace. I gotta lift up the one who is shalom over it all. Ignoring the snakes does not make them go away. It makes us look foolish. But we have one who we can show them if they simply would look to. His name's Jesus. He's the answer. I think what I see in this and what I hope we grab a hold of, I'm getting ready to end in just a second, is that both the issues and the answers were found inside the camp. People that caused the pain and people who lifted up the answer to the pain were both found in the same camp. In church, you're going to find people who are going to cause you pain. And in church, this is the place where you can find people who will lift up your answer for the pain. We are living in the end times. That's what you need to see in this text. The serpents aren't going away. I got news for you. It's not going to get better. I know no one wants to hear it, right? Like, Because we want to be a people that's like, we're the good news. Yep, the good news is we win at the end. 
The good news is that it's going to get better. It hasn't gotten better for 2,000 years. It's gotten worse. And labor pains, the Bible says, make it worse and worse and worse. You think it's bad with the serpents we got? They're bringing cousins. Our job is not to ignore them. Our job is not to say they don't exist. Our job in this place is to equip ourselves and empower ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray for divine strategies on how to lift up the name of Jesus in the midst of these problems. Figure out a way to get into the Russian soldier's heart and talk about the watchmaker. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he says, man, because it's these end times, you and I as disciples have to steward our gifts. We've got to remember the promise of Jesus in John 12. If I be lifted up, I'll draw people to me. Is it enough for you and I to reveal Jesus? Or does he have to get rid of the snakes for us to praise him? The reality is, my friends, there's snakes in the community. And it doesn't matter how they got here. It doesn't matter who to blame. It matters that their venom's going to kill people without the one true answer. And it ain't Buddhism. It ain't Zen. It ain't getting my chi right. It ain't make sure that I'm happy and healthy. Jesus. And if we don't lift them up, who will? I want to end with this cool fact that maybe you know, but this is what I know. Scientists, I was reading this article the other day that scientists are just kind of catching up with what people in antiquity knew for a long time. That the perfect anti-venom, this is scientific truth, the perfect anti-venom for a snake bite is lamb's blood. That there's certain makeup inside of the blood of a, of, a, of a lamb, of a sheep. That when a snake bites it, the things that are inside the blood actually work against the venom and turn it into an anti-venom. It, it creates, the lamb's blood creates antibodies. Come on somebody, the lamb's blood creates antibodies that overcome, that detoxify the power of the venom. See, scientists are just figuring out today what Isaiah knew thousands of years ago when he said, the one who hung on the cross, the Lamb of God, we are healed by the stripes on his back. The serpent bit him, but by the blood of the Lamb, I am healed. And the only answer to the venom in our society is not more unity. It is Jesus Christ's blood. Somebody got to lift up the Lamb of God. We don't need to find ways to get out of our community. We need to find ways to get Jesus into our communities. God, if you just get the snakes out, he's like, I'm just trying to get you in. God, I believe in you if you got the snakes out. Yeah, but you get to behold me. Come on, somebody, if I leave the snakes in. Jesus is coming walking through the wilderness. 
there's a crowd of people and John the Baptist stands up. Shaking, I can see, with excitement as his cousin walks across the hot sand towards him. And he turns to the people and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Look, look, look. There's the Lamb that detoxifies the venom of the enemy. Where are the John the Baptists in the church of America today? Where are the Moseses that will rise up and in the midst of the serpents raise up a pole with the glory of our king? I'm not talking about being nicer or better or kinder. I'm talking about being willing to be in the midst of the serpents so they can stay, so that he can be behind. My friends, I want to pray over you really quickly. If you've been bitten, if you've got the venom inside of you right now, if you're feeling the displeasure in your soul, if you haven't had peace with God in a long time, if you're feeling like inside of you that venom is stealing joy from you, I want to pray over you. Because it's not the prayers of Pastor Kyle that matter. It's that we are going to lift up the name of Jesus above your problem. And you're going to need to take a risk to say yes. So if that's you today, would you just stand with me? Just stand. I want to pray with you just right now. Just stand. Just stand. Just say, I need some. I need some. Just stand. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. Church, give God glory as people are just making decisions right now. To not allow the venom to stay. Daddy, right now, we don't need the snakes to go. Wait, we need you to stay. Father, for every person that is standing around this room, every person that is standing in their hospital room or bedroom or vacation hotel room, in the name of Jesus, we pray over them right now. We lift up the name of Jesus above every bite, every offense. Every displeasure, every uh, toxic effect of the venom of the enemy that is being perpetuated in their life and in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak the blood of the Lamb of God over their life. We speak freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has come to set me free. I am no longer bound by the hatred, no longer bound by the disillusionment, by the offense of the enemy. I stand healed and whole in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now, like Moses did, we pray that you reveal a way, a divine strategy. That we can behold you in the midst of this. That we can lift you up. Father, as a church, we ask forgiveness. For all the blame shifting we've done. For all the self-righteous pride that has caused us to look at others with side eye. And we repent, Lord God. We turn our face towards you. We curse gossip. We curse busybodiness. Slander, pride, ego, 
persona. We curse shame and guilt and condemnation. We pray for love and compassion. We thank you that you stand at the you stand as a guard of our hearts. But Daddy, help us not to forget that the black mamas are still in our community. Give us a passion and a compassion to lift you up. Church, can we just stand all together really quickly? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Can you just take a moment, just take a moment if you're here today, just take a moment and maybe you just say those words yourself to God. Take a moment to repent. Take a moment to turn around. Take a moment to ask for guidance. Come on, just take a moment. Moses prayed and God answered. That's what he does. Daddy, we sang that song today. Today I ask that it's not just words from our lips, but the meditation of our heart. I will wait on you. I will wait on you. I remember your goodness. I remember your promise. And I'm going to wait on you. Come on, church, is that what you're saying today? I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to remember your goodness. I'm going to remember your promise. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Because those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. My God, teach us to wait. Holy, holy, holy. Daddy, I pray for every person that has prayed today. Every person standing. I pray for Connect Church, for every leader, for every person in these seats, for every person who calls this place home. That God, you keep showing us how to bring you in, and not just for us to run out. How to reveal your glory in the midst of a world threatened by the serpent. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. And I believe today, God, I believe that right now, not only you're setting people free, but I believe I'm going to thank you for those divine downloads you're giving people. That there have been, Father, I know right now that there have been people that have had issues with people for years. For years. And the enemy has just said that's the way it's going to be. But I believe right now that you are bringing divine understanding divine words into their heart, into their spirit, to show them how to bring Jesus into that circumstance. Reconciliation, restoration, wholeness in the name of Jesus. We're going to thank you and praise you in advance. Come on, church, if that's you, if you can just thank God in advance, 
If you could just thank God in advance. Just let's just give God. Let's take a moment and get a praise break to God. Father, we love you. We thank you for healing us and hearing us. We thank you that you are the God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, hallelujah, for healing and miracles and wonders. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that changes us and transforms us. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Woo! Woo! Hey, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, thanks, baby. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you want to know maybe a little bit more about how to make a deeper decision to follow Jesus, maybe you've never asked him into your heart, I want to introduce you to Pastor Rick over here. This is Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick can give away. That's awesome. Pastor Rick wrote two books that actually explain a little bit more about this walk with Jesus, how to bring it into your life. If you're watching online, you can just send in a prayer at theconnectchurch.com, and we'll send you this free. But if you're in this room and you're saying, man, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, I'd like to grab one of these books. In just a moment after service, you can go see Pastor Rick at that table. He'll take, take a moment to explain what we're talking about today. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. I'm not talking about behaving. I'm talking about beholding. My church life taught me how to behave. Being a disciple teaches you how to behold. Can you be seated just for one more second? We're going to go. You know, church, part of being the answer in our community is resourcing our community. And that, that's, that's what we do every Sunday. That's what we get apart. That's what we do when we give into our offering. The offering's not to keep lights on or to pay mortgage, although it does those things. It, it's, it's to be a resource, to be part of the answer, to, to be a part of lifting Jesus up and saying, I'm going to honor you with the first fruits of my wealth, the first fruits of my life. Because I know whatever I give, whatever first I give to you, you bless the rest of it. And I'm going to believe, I don't know about you, I, I need you to know before we, we, we take an offering in a second, I, I need you to know that we are putting time, energy, and money into making sure that we can continue to build the middle section and the first section out in ways looking forward into the future with the needs in our community, how to feed people, how to resource people with clothes, with goods, with things that are being hard to find. I was at Wawa yesterday, Wawa down the street in Cherry Hill, well, it's not, I guess it's in Pennsylvania, but the one on the border of Cherry Hill, Pennsylvania. Four lanes of gas they didn't have. At Wawa, I'm not talking about Joe's gas station, I'm talking about Wawa. I don't want to wait for there to be a lack for us to have to beg. Come on. My God did not create beggars. My God created resources. I want to make sure that we can position ourselves now to resource the community later. That's what you're giving to us. We bless people now and we build to resource people later. I'm so glad you're here today. 
You can give in multiple ways. You can give with these envelopes that are there in front of you. You can put those into the kiosks, those gold kiosks there by the door on your way out. Just make sure that when you drop it in, you drop it in as an act of worship to God. You can give online. You can give on your phone. There's lots of ways. That's how I do it on the phone. It's so easy. But I'm going to pray. Can we just stand? I'm going to pray with the offering. I'm going to pray over your life. We're going to go.